Amen. How many of you noticed the words in that last verse? Whosoever will forever must endure. Just a simple song answers a lot of questions. Let's pray this morning. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you. We ask that you would take each part of this service and that you would use it to your honor and glory, that you would give us what we need to live for you during this coming week. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Please remain standing and children will stay up until after the special is over this morning. And let's have the children dismissed to the children's church at this time. If you're 12 and under, even if you're 12, you could probably endure the preaching up here for the morning, but for the children downstairs. And a very familiar passage of scripture Daniel chapter 3, and uh, let's just read uh, down through the chapter here. Verse 1 of Daniel chapter 3, Nebuchadnezzar the king made an image of gold whose height was three score cubits and the breadth thereof six cubits and set it up in the plain of Dura in the providence of Babylon. Then Nebuchadnezzar the king sent to gather together the princes, the governors, and the captains, the judges, the treasurers, the counselors, the sheriffs, and all the rulers of the providences to come to the dedication of the image which Nebuchadnezzar the king had set up. Then the princes, the governors, and captains, the judges, the treasurers, the counselors, the sheriffs, and all the rulers of the providences were gathered together unto the dedication of the image that Nebuchadnezzar the king had set up, and they stood before the image that Nebuchadnezzar the king had set up. Then an herald cried aloud, To you it is commanded, O people, nations, and languages, that at what time ye hear the sound of the cornet, flute, harp, sackbut, psaltery, dulcimer, and all kinds of music, Ye fall down and worship the golden image that Nebuchadnezzar the king hath set up. And whoso falleth not down and worshipeth shall the same hour be cast into the midst of a burning fiery furnace. Therefore at that time when all the people heard the sound of the cornet, flute, harp, sackbut, psaltery, and all kinds of music, all the people... The nations and the languages fell down and worshipped the golden image that Nebuchadnezzar the king had set up. Wherefore, at that time, certain Chaldeans came near and accused the Jews. Now, most of us are familiar with the story that we are going over here and, and going to be spending our time this morning on. We call it the story of the three Hebrew children, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They were there in the midst of this situation. And of course, if you know the end of the story, you know that God performed an incredible miracle and delivered these three young men from the desires and the designs of the king of Babylon. How many of you like real miracles? Now, we're not talking about Benny Hinn, all right? 
Uh, we're not talking about TVN and what you see on TV. You can do an awful lot with cameras, can't you? And uh, there's an awful lot of things that happen today that just simply aren't real. But when you have a real bona fide miracle, that's an incredible thing, is it not? Uh, we don't have time to go through the entire story, but... Uh, uh, if you're familiar with our church and its history, uh, we believe you're sitting in a miracle that God uh, performed. And just to make a long story short, in a period of about three years, our church was about 40 members. Uh, God raised nearly $600,000, not from our own membership, but from churches all over the country to help us buy this building, and in less than seven years, the building was completely paid for. And, and we consider that a miracle. You know why we call that a miracle? Because it just doesn't happen that way, normally. I mean, normally, uh, how shall we say this? You go into debt, and what is the government's answer? Print more money. Uh, don't try that at home called counterfeiting, comes with a 30-year mandatory sentence. Uh, it is not a good thing. But normally, those kinds of things just don't happen. And so, therefore, we call it a miracle because we want God to get the credit for what he has done to allow our church to exist. Could we say amen, members? And we praise the Lord for what he has done. But... Let me tell you, far greater miracles than that have happened and do happen. And we do, dis we do not discount God's ability to work miracles. In fact, the greatest miracle I know of in my life was the day I got saved. Was the day that God took a young man who did not understand a whole lot, who... Uh, I was only 11 years old when I got saved. Uh, I did not have time to go out and delve into the depths of depravity and all of those things. And I praise the Lord for that. Uh, I think the greatest testimony that a person can have today is that God kept me from the world. Not necessarily that he saved me out of it. Amen. And we rejoice for every time a person gets saved because God takes a soul that was on its way to hell, turns it around and puts that soul on its way to heaven. God gives them eternal life. Is there a greater miracle that you could think of? Jesus said, what would a man be profited if he gained the whole world? And lost his own soul. And yet people are making deals every day to sell their soul. You know, they used to... Uh, well, now that I started, I better finish. You're going to wonder where I was going. But, uh, I mean, in this country, they've made a big deal about slavery. And slavery was wickedness. And it was a great evil in this country paid dearly for that with the deaths of over 600,000 Americans on both sides of that war that was called the Civil War. 
great price to pay. But we have auctions of human souls every year. We call it the NFL draft, the NBA draft. Who in the world cares about somebody that's in seventh place in a national golf tournament unless your name is Tiger Woods? I mean, I just don't understand that. Why would anybody care? But it's because these people have literally sold their souls for the fame and the fortune and the greatness. And if you do not have any incredible talents, you go into politics. Somebody said that's Hollywood for the ugly. Take a look at them sometime. I'm... I'm tending to agree with that statement. And just don't get between our senator and a camera. That could be dangerous. And everybody who knows Mr. Schumer knows that you just don't get between him and a television camera, especially if it's on. He's going to be in front of that camera every moment. And so don't, don't tell me that people are not selling their souls today just as has happened all through human history. What I'm trying to do is look at an example, a real story, and I'll tell you it's quite pathetic to read the commentaries on this passage because uh, any new commentary will always have that clause built in there. Well, Maybe this story didn't really happen. Maybe it was just made up to illustrate the point. Uh, that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says this story really happened just the way it's recorded in the Scriptures. And we look all around us, and I know that I've asked this question and I shouldn't have. And most of you have asked this same question. I doubt there is someone here today that really doubts whether God exists or not. Otherwise, why would you be in church? And if you're searching, trying to find God, let me tell you, you're in the right place. Because we're going to talk about Him from His Word. Amen? But most of us here understand the concept of God from the Bible and the fact that there is only one God, that He is the supreme being, that there is none comparable to Him, and that God is capable of doing anything God decides to do. Would you agree with that this morning? Now here we get back to the question. We know that. But will He do what needs to be done in my life? That's the question we ask, is it not? When we're facing extreme adversity, when we're facing situations that we don't like, I remember sitting in my office, we were only $150,000 short on our payment. Nothing for God way beyond my comprehension. 
I'll tell you what, faith sometimes is terrifying. And I was wondering what God is going to do. And I remember praying and saying, now, God, I know that you have the ability to do anything. But, Lord, I don't know if I have enough faith. I don't know what you're going to do. I have no way of, uh, I'm just here, Lord. I found out that the lock on the office door can work both ways. Amen. Sometimes you just lock yourself in to keep yourself from doing something stupid. I'm here to tell you that God did perform a miracle. He touched the heart of one man who wrote one check. He sent me a little email and said, I hope it helps. How many of you want to take a guess what the check was made out for? Yeah, it was made out for $150,000. I mean, my hands were shaking when I took that check to the bank. I was, I was thinking, should I, uh, should I call the 114th and get a police escort so nobody steals it between here and the bank? And then I said, you know what? If God blessed us enough to send it, he'll protect me between here and the bank. And, and he did. And we made the payment, and God got the glory. Because you don't have to know me very well to know that that's way above my pay grade. Amen? Uh, that's way above who and what we are as individuals or collectively as a church. God's in the miracle work in business. And if I were to ask you today... How many of you need a miracle in your life? I'll tell you what, almost every hand would probably go up and we would begin to think of different things. I know we have several of our members that are uh, battling with very serious health problems. And uh, we believe God's doing some special things. I heard the report with Brother Ding. Praise the Lord. And... Uh, Things are getting better there. We're, we're thankful for that. And we're thankful for medicine, but we're not going to give too much credit to the doctors. We're going to give it to the God who gave the doctors the sense to know what to do. Amen? I mean, that's just the attitude that we have here. But I want to tell you something. You can't go out as uh, some of these TV preachers and things talk about looking for a miracle to happen. Uh, you can't manipulate miracles, my friend. Miracles that are something that are within the realm of God's sovereignty. He chooses not to do miracles and to do miracles. And by the way, it's not your place or my place to dictate to God when and where he will do miracles. I think of in the New Testament, James, one of the three intimate disciples with Christ, was arrested by Herod and put into prison. How many people know what happened to James? James. He was beheaded. He lost his life. No miracle there. 
And just a little while later, Herod arrested Peter and was going to do exactly the same thing. Except on the night before the execution, God sent an angel to open the prison door and pull Peter out of the prison. The next morning, there was an execution. It just wasn't Peter. It was the men who were guarding him. Because that was the kind of man Herod was. Now, why did God deliver Peter and not deliver James? Somebody might be thinking, well, I know why. They were praying. Now, we have a record of their prayer meeting, but could I challenge you today? The prayers that were made without ceasing for Peter weren't necessarily great prayers of faith because when Peter showed up and knocked on the door and Rhoda came to answer and said, it's Peter, and she was so excited she didn't even open the door, left him standing out in the street and went back and told everybody and they said, oh, God's answered our prayers, right? No. They said, you're dreaming, girl. And they kept knocking and he kept knocking. And he said, well, Peter's out there. It's his ghost. Herod killed him and his spirit showed up to say goodbye before he goes to heaven. How biblical is that, my friend? I mean, come on. It wasn't the prayers. It was God. God had a job for Peter to do. James' work apparently was finished. I'm not pretending to speak for God, but what I'm saying is God let James die, be killed. He delivered Peter. There had to be some purpose or reason why God chose to do a miracle for Peter and did not do one for, for, for James. And so I want us to look through this story that's very familiar with us. And if you're not familiar with the story, we'll, we'll give you all the details before the end here this morning. But let's go back to Daniel chapter 3, if you would. And let's kind of set the stage here. And, and I'm, I'm a man who loves stories. Now, I don't like made-up stories too much. Uh, people write novels and... I mean, if you're into that stuff, just make sure they're not awful novels. But I'm not into fiction. I, I like real stories about real people that really happened. And God said in the book of Corinthians that these stories were our examples or examples. They were to show us how we are to live in this present day. Now, I hope that I am never put in the exact same situation that these three uh, Hebrew men were put into. Uh, I don't think I would really enjoy looking into the face of the fiery furnace knowing that the next moment I'm going to be in there. Uh, that's what happened here. But let's look at the story here and, and use your imagination to think and to, to go back Nebuchadnezzar was the king of Babylon. If you'll read in chapter 2, he had had a dream that Daniel interpreted for him that God had said that Babylon was going to be the pinnacle or the highest of all the kingdoms of the earth. It was represented in the statue of God's history as the head of gold. 
And so what did Nebuchadnezzar do? Well, he let that go to his head. And he built a 90-foot tall image. That's three score cubits, 60 cubits. Works out in our measurement to about 90 feet tall, nine stories high. And only nine foot wide. I guess Nebuchadnezzar was skinny. I'm not quite sure how that worked. But no, the idea was getting this image up there high enough that everybody could see it. And uh, boy, the first thing you read about in all the commentaries was, well, it certainly wasn't an image of solid gold. It had to be gold-plated and this and that. And then I read in one commentary that they made a statue of gold of 800 talents. According to Herodotus, he was a secular historian. That works out to 22 tons of gold. Could you imagine 22 tons of gold? Now, that was just one statue that was recorded in history. So, whether the statue was hollow or solid or whatever, there certainly was enough gold. By the way, does anybody remember how much gold that David had prepared for the building of the temple? We have 800 talents equals 22 tons for this statue that was made by somebody somewhere. There was 100,000 talents of gold in the temple. Where'd that gold go when Nebuchadnezzar destroyed the temple? I, I want to tell you that Nebuchadnezzar had enough gold to make ten of those statues, if he so desired. That Nebuchadnezzar's riches and his power was beyond anything you and I could imagine today. And yet Nebuchadnezzar ruled a vast and varied empire, and what he was doing was he was having a loyalty day. He wanted to make sure that there was unity in the empire. There's always that opportunity of sowing the seeds of rebellion and trying to uh, uh, form a coup against the government. And Nebuchadnezzar was, a, was not an, uh, an intellectual pygmy, let me tell you. He, he was an intelligent man. He was a man that had great powers in his mental capabilities. And he was going to bring everybody together and unite them. Let me tell you, he had a good plan. One thing that every ruler in human history has tried to do to unite people under his authority is he has used religion to do so. What do you think the Catholic Church in the medieval ages was? What do you think communism under the uh, Soviet blanket of authoritarianism was? Communism is not a political system. It is a religion. And by the way, they're trying to turn democracy into a religion. You say, what's the difference between a religion and a political system? Well... A political system has to work. A religion 
promises you things that they can't possibly prove in this lifetime. And so when we come up with all this crazy stuff that they're going to promise everybody everything, it doesn't work that way. It's becoming a religion. We better watch out. That's a scary, scary thought. And Nebuchadnezzar was no different than any medieval king. He was going to unite, only he was going to use his own religion. He had set up his own statue. And by the way, if somebody had enough gold to build a 90-foot tall statue, people from all over the world would come just to see it and worship it. Now, wouldn't they? I mean, it's just the way things are. And so Nebuchadnezzar called it, and I love the way the Bible tells this story here. He sent, in verse 2, to gather together the princes, the governors, the captains, the judges, the treasurers, the counselors, the sheriffs, and all the rulers. I mean, they had everybody there but the dog catcher. Uh, I mean, they had everybody who was of any importance was to be there gathered in the plain of Dura. It says in the providence of Babylon, just outside the city of Babylon, he had set up this image. He had brought all these thousands of people from his entire kingdom there. And so you can just imagine the pomp, the circumstance all the glory of these men and their fantastic uniforms and their entourages and everybody all around them and one king prince trying to make a better show than another prince and and uh, all these military men and the and the police forces of the different providence everybody was there and all of a sudden the crowd hushes as the herald cries he says when you hear the music you're to bow down to the image and worship the God of Nebuchadnezzar, pledging your allegiance and your loyalty to Nebuchadnezzar and to his gods that you are going to serve the king of Babylon as the term the Bible uses, a king of kings. Because princes are just many kings, are they not? He was setting himself up and he was making sure that he had loyalty and everything that he needed to rule his empire. No sooner had the music sounded than these thousands of people fell. And all of a sudden, here comes this little group of Chaldeans marching right up in front of everybody. And you could just see the king going, not again. I mean, he'd had problems with these Chaldeans in chapter 2 and had actually commanded to have all the Chaldeans and the astrologers and the soothsayers, uh, ex, um, you get it, uh, uh, he was going to kill them all because they could not tell him his dream. And Daniel had told him the dream and he's just sitting there going, not on this day, because you have to understand that after the worship, there was always a big party. I mean, this was to be the day that everyone there was to celebrate Nebuchadnezzar. And here come these guys marching up to the platform, 
How many thousands of people were at this meeting? Nobody knows. But I mean, there had to be th every one of them important. And these guys come marching up. There were three guys that didn't bow down before your image. And Nebuchadnezzar was just going, no. I have a feeling that he was thinking, couldn't you just look the other way? Come on, we got a lot going on here. Three guys are not going to stop what's going on. But when somebody messes up your plans, what do you do? You get angry, don't you? And Nebuchadnezzar was like, we're going to solve this problem. We're going to solve it now. Bring him here. Here's the first point. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego got where they were by being obedient to God. You go through the book of Daniel. Daniel chapter 1. Daniel purposes in his heart in verse 8, I'm not going to be defiled with the king's meat. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego said, Daniel, we're with you. We are not going to disobey the laws of God just to make our life more comfortable. Even though we're in Babylon, we're going to eat the way that God said we're going to eat. We're going to live the way God said we're going to live. And if we can't be obedient to God, I'd rather just stop living than not be obedient to God. Now that's some dedication, is it not? And God honored their dedication how would you like to live on lettuce and collard greens for three years? I mean, collard greens aren't bad with a little fat back and a few things like that. It, but that wasn't an option for Daniel and his three friends. Uh, pork was not allowed and the king's meat was all defiled. How'd you like to get up for breakfast and have lettuce? I know they have diets like that. I just hope I never get in enough trouble to have to go that far. Amen. Oh. At the end of the three years, it says that they were healthy. Let me tell you, you won't be healthy eating lettuce for three years. In fact, you can eat pickles. Look on the jar. There are no calories in pickles. No nutritional value whatsoever. They taste good, but they're not going to give you any strength unless there's a lot of sugar in the brine. But uh, let me tell you something. God performed a miracle in keeping these men pure, did he not? But they studied hard. They worked because at the end when Nebuchadnezzar gave them the final exam, it said these four guys were at the top of the list. Let me tell you, it takes... A great deal of discipline to study anything, let alone to be a captive in a foreign land, living on lettuce and collard greens and all those kinds of and spinach and things like that for three years and still be able to study and learn your lessons. And yet, 
when they were finally set on their own, Nebuchadnezzar has the dream in chapter 2 and says, if you can't tell me the dream and the interpretation, I'm going to kill all the wise men in Babylon and get a new set. Well, the guy showed up at Daniel's door saying, hey, listen, uh, we need you to come with us because you all are going to die. And Daniel said, well, wait a minute, what, what, what did we do? He said, well, the other wise man can't answer the king, so all the wise men are going to die. You're wise men, let's go. And he said, uh, would you just give us a moment to, to, to pray? Uh, let me tell you, God worked a miracle and answered their prayers. Amen? They were diligent enough in their work that when Daniel requested for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to be set over the providence of Babylon, the Nebuchadnezzar granted his request. Let me tell you, Nebuchadnezzar was good and accounted. He was taking care of everything. He was watching. These men had to be diligent in their work or they wouldn't be where they were. The reason why most of us will never see a bona fide real miracle in our life is because we will never be faithful enough to get into the situation where God is willing to do a miracle. Did we get that? That's the reason most people will never be saved. They're not willing to lay down the things of this world. They're not willing to turn from their own reasoning, their own thought processes. They will not be obedient in the little things when no one is looking. Let me tell you, if you're not going to be faithful in that which is little, God's not going to give you much. Read the book of Luke, it's there. You wonder why it feels like God doesn't care about your life. It's because you don't care about the things that God wants in your life. There's a connection here, my friend. There's one we got to get a hold of. God does not do miracles until God is in a position where only he can get the glory from the miracle. God is not going to bless your faithlessness. He is not going to bless your lack of due diligence. Read 2 Peter chapter 1. Giving all diligence. Add to your faith. What's the first thing? Virtue. That is a forgotten character trait in our day and time, is it not? Virtue is just pure living. You know, pure living is something you have to do by yourself. Nobody can do it for you or with you. They were put to the test on this day. They refused to bow. They are called before the king, and I just love verse... we got to read verses 16 through 18, and we'll, we'll get the whole story before the end, I promise you here. But Nebuchadnezzar has just given them his final decree. He says, I, I just want to understand that this is just an oversight on your part. Maybe you weren't here, maybe you didn't hear. And he 
just gives it to them. And look at verse 16. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we are not careful to answer thee in this matter. Now I want to tell you something. That statement right there was the equivalent of just reaching out and bam, across the face. It was as high an insult as they could pay. They weren't trying to insult the king, but to say that we're not careful, we're not going to choose our words, uh, we're not going to think about this response, we need no time to call in uh, an assistant counselor here, we're not careful to answer you, we're just going to tell you the way it is, king. That normally, just that statement could result in a death sentence. They said... Verse 17, if it be so, okay, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace. And he will deliver us out of thine hand, O king. But if not, be it known unto thee, O king, that we will not serve thy gods, nor worship the golden image which thou hast set up. They said here, and people have read all kinds of things into this, but just look at the words. They said, if it be so, if you put us into that fiery furnace, our God is able to deliver us out of the fiery furnace. He's got more of the power than you can imagine, and we're not worried. And then they said, and he will deliver us out of thine hand. Now, they had a little different definition than you and I think of when we read those words because the next phrase says, but if not, they were not saying that we are demanding God to withdraw us from the fiery furnace and we will not suffer any hurt. They couldn't have imagined that God would do what he did to deliver them. What they were saying was, you can kill this body. But God is not going to give you our souls. And we aren't either, O King. Jesus said later, Fear not him that kills the body. And after that has no power to cast the soul into hell. But if you want to fear somebody, you fear him that has the power to kill the body and cast the soul into hell. That's God. That's whom we should fear. And they said, listen, our God will deliver us. We are not going to bow down to this image and we will be with our God in heaven. And if our God chooses that we die, that's all right with us because we're going to be obedient to God. We're putting ourselves in the hand of God. Now, let me tell you something. We didn't have people raise their hand, how many really need a miracle, but let me tell you, you're not going to see the miracle until you get here. How many are ready to get in line? You've got to think about that one first. Because it took years of personal privation and hard work and labor to get to the point 
to where it even made a difference as to whether they bowed down or not. Are you still with me this morning? Do you get this? There were hundreds and hundreds of thousands of Jews that had been taken captive. Only three of them had served and had done enough to put themselves in a position where it even mattered whether they bowed down to the image of Baal or not. You see, the reason why we don't see miracles today in, in our personal lives is because we will not be obedient to God in the little things, in the daily things, that will put us into a position where it matters whether God does a miracle or not. Who needs a miracle when you have Visa and MasterCard, right? Be careful. Be careful. They got where they were by being obedient to God. Number two, Nebuchadnezzar set the stage, not Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. You know, Realize your inner champion. Isn't that somebody's phrase? If you could realize your inner champion, you, that would be a miracle because there ain't no champion there. I read the book. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who could know it? I don't want to realize that. I want to realize my Savior. Amen? I don't want to find what's in me. Someone said, I just... I just want to know what's in my heart. No, you don't. Your heart is capable of things that you can't even imagine. I want to know the Savior. I want him controlling what's in my heart. I want his words fencing me in. And someone said, but... That narrow way is so confining. Talk to David in Psalm 119. He said, thy commandment is exceeding broad. The more confined I get by the word of God, the more freedom I have. Because when I wake up in the morning, I'm not worried about what happened when I didn't have enough sense to know what wasn't going on or what did happen. Amen. But Nebuchadnezzar set the stage, my friend. He was the one that developed the loyalty to this test of the loyalty to the king. He's the one that built the 900-foot, uh, 90-foot, sorry, 90-foot statue. He's the one that had the fiery furnace. And by the way, I looked it up. The melting point of gold is 1,947.9741 degrees Fahrenheit. All practical purposes, 2,000 degrees Fahrenheit is a melting point of gold. Uh, that's pretty hot. But what did Nebuchadnezzar do when Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego said, we're not going to? He said, I want the furnace heated seven times. You know what I found out? The boiling point of gold is... 5,084.6 degrees. Gold boils at 5,000 degrees. Now, that is 
incredible temperatures. When you strike a match, uh, that's about 180 degrees. When you uh, use your one of those butane lighters, that's 220 or something like that. We're talking about thousands of degrees. He said, I want the furnace turned up seven times. Now, do you think they actually dialed into their computer and said, the, the furnace was there for the melting point of gold. I imagine they heated the furnace until the brick was glowing. You say, I don't know that brick glows. Well, you get it that hot, it'll glow. Trust me. It will happen. Nebuchadnezzar had the men bound in their clothing. You ever seen one of those oriental turbans? Well, they just unwrapped it and started wrapping Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in them. How many of you know what a straitjacket is? Well, you take your coat off and put it on backwards and tie it up, and you got a pretty good imitation of a straitjacket now, don't you? Uh, they took their clothing because of the king's anger. Now, I want you to go back to the picture here. We have these thousands of people gathered at the foot of this 90-foot golden statue. The king is on his throne, and we have these Chaldeans. We don't know how many of them there were, accusing these three guys... And everybody is watching. They're just standing there with their hands in their pants, their hands in their pockets and their pockets in their pants. I don't know how you put that. I mean, they're just sitting there going, oh, my goodness, how long is this going to take? What's going on here? And the king is sensing all of this. And you could probably see the purple color in his face from the back row, I would imagine, because he's being publicly embarrassed. Now he's had it. And so he's screaming that this furnace be heated up seven times. And you can see the guys pumping the bellows at the base of the furnace that was there probably for the smelting of the gold. So, I mean, they're, they're cooking this thing up. And you see these big soldiers come out. It said the most mighty men in his army come out. And they start pulling their turbans off and throwing them on the ground and ripping their coats and their hosing and... Uh, Boy, I'm glad I didn't live then. I didn't do very good with hosing on. But anyway, and they start tying them up in, in little Christmas packages kind of and, and get these three guys and the furnace is glowing and they start carrying them toward the furnace to throw them in. And Nebuchadnezzar just asked this question and of course we need to read this in verse 15. Now, if you be ready, at what time you hear the sound of the cornet, flute, harp, sackbut, psaltery, dulcimer, and all kinds of music, you fall down and worship the image which I have made well. But if you worship not, you shall be cast the same hour into the midst of a burning, fiery furnace. And who is that God that shall deliver you out of my hands? There's the key to the miracle right there. Nebuchadnezzar set the stage. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego did not go looking for a walk in the fiery furnace. 
You serve God faithfully, and when it comes time for the miracles, God will take care of them in order as they need to be done. Amen? So they got where they were by being obedient. They were following God's rules, not their rules. Nebuchadnezzar said, here's the test, and who is that God? It said the furnace was so hot that those men that approached to throw the three, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego into the furnace, that they died from the heat of the furnace. Now let me tell you, that can happen. My grandfather spent most of his life firing a brick kiln in central Pennsylvania. They would make the bricks, load them up, and his job was to put the coal underneath and stoke the fire to bake the bricks. And he said, we never got it too hot in there. It was only about 1,400 degrees. But I'll tell you what, in his 80s, he could make a fire in the basement furnace that would cook you out 20 degrees below zero. I mean, he knew how to, he knew how to make a fire, let me tell you. He said, I had no hair on my arms or my face for 30 years. Because when they opened the brick kiln door, the heat wave that came out of that thing just literally burned all the hair off of off of anything that was exposed. I think he blamed his baldness on that too, but I'm not sure that was quite the reason. But uh, these soldiers dropped dead. These three men were bound hand and foot and fell into the midst of the burning furnace. People who are supposed to know say the furnace was probably shaped much like the old-fashioned milk bottle with a narrow chimney, a wide and a wider bottom there, and then an opening where you could put the ore in at the hottest point of the fire. And it was more than likely through that opening that Nebuchadnezzar was staring, of course, from a distance. And just imagine this this was not just a little furnace. I mean, he had smelted enough gold here to make a 90-foot tall statue. I mean, this was a big furnace. And he was there looking into the furnace. And let's just read the, the Bible here. Verse 23. And these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell down bound into the midst of the burning, fiery furnace. Then Nebuchadnezzar the king was astonished. And rose up in haste and spake and said unto his counselors, Did not we cast three men bound into the midst of the fire? They answered and said unto the king, True, O king. He answered and said, Lo, I see four men loose, walking in the midst of the fire, and they have no hurt. And the fourth, and the form of the fourth is like the Son of God. Now people have criticized our King James Bible here and said, how in the world did they know the form of the fourth was the Son of God? Uh, let me ask you a question. If Jesus walked in here and wanted us to know who he was, you wouldn't have any doubt now, would you? 
He did hide his identity on several occasions, especially with the disciples. But do you think John had a problem figuring out who he was, who was speaking to him in Revelation chapter 1? Did Daniel have any problem figuring out who would speak to him in Daniel chapter 9 and 10? Let me tell you something. Nebuchadnezzar knew who was talk, who was in there. And it scared him half to death. The bodies of the soldiers that put them in there were still laying on the ground at the face of the furnace. And there are four guys walking around in the furnace. I wonder if they rewrapped their turbans and put their coats back on right and their hosing on, sat down and pulled them on and then put their shoes on and all of that in the furnace. I don't know. My imagination works a little bit, but uh, I have a tendency to believe that because of decorum and things like that, that they would have wanted to be properly dressed and, and they would have done that in the furnace. And all this time, the king's just standing there going. And here's what the king does. Then Nebuchadnezzar came near to the mouth of the burning fiery furnace and spake and said, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, ye servants of the Most High God, come forth and come hither. Then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came forth out of the midst of the fire. And the princes and the governors and the captains and the king's counselors being gathered together saw these men upon whose bodies the fire had no power, nor was an hair of their head singed, neither were their coats changed, nor the smell of fire had passed on them. Then Nebuchadnezzar spake and said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and delivered his servants that trusted in him and have changed the king's word and yielded their bodies that they might not serve nor worship any god except their god. Therefore I make a decree that every people, nation, and language which speak anything amidst against the god of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be cut in pieces and their houses shall be made a dunghill because there is no other god that can deliver after this sort. The miracle happened. God delivered them. Now, we, I love this story. And I, I don't want to be too long this morning. But I want us to think about something. There is a real burning, fiery furnace awaiting every soul that refuses to be obedient to the word of God. It's a place called hell. God sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross in our place. But it takes a miracle for a human heart to let go of what they're trusting in and put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Amen? How many of you can remember the day that miracle happened in your life?
the, uh, just by way of illustration of this point. Probably all, though I don't recommend watching TV or especially anything new. Oh, my goodness. But the Lone Ranger fell off the side of the cliff, and he's there hanging on that little branch that's sticking out. Anybody remember seeing something like that? And he's there kicking his feet and trying to get a foothold, and all of a sudden the rope comes down beside him, and he holds on one hand and reaches over and grabs a hold of that rope with the other hand and gets pulled to safety. Let me tell you something. That only happens in the movies. If you were literally hanging for your life on a little branch sticking out of a crack in the rock and somebody dropped a rope, you could not make your mind let go of that branch to save your life. You can't do it. It's just like the person who's drowning. You're flailing your arms. Now, what are you doing when you're flailing your arms and kicking your feet? You're expending all of your energy so you drown faster. That's the only thing you're accomplishing. But any lifeguard knows that you can't save a person while they have enough strength to, uh, to wail and, and thrash around because there's been more than one lifeguard that has lost their life trying to pull someone else who couldn't swim out of the water. It takes a miracle of God to make you let go of yourself and grab a hold of Jesus Christ. That's how you get saved. By the way, that's not the only miracle that God wants to do in your life. What is a greater miracle the three Hebrew children coming through the fiery furnace or God quelling the fiery temper that dwells within your soul. Let me tell you, there's a, that's a great miracle, is it not? What is a greater miracle? The three Hebrew children coming out of the fiery furnace or God giving you victory over the addictions and things that you brought into your life? God is in the miracle working business, my friend. But you've got to get there first. You say, how do I get there? Being obedient to God's word. You say, well, how do I be obedient to God's word? Well, glad you asked. It's very simple. It's believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. If you're going to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, you've got to stop believing in the church. You've got to stop believing in your good works. You've got to stop believing in the priest. You've got to stop believing in the mass. You've got to stop believing in anything and everybody. You've got to turn off your filthy TV and forget about what uh, Mrs. Myers and, and uh, whatever that guy from Texas is, Olstein and all those guys. You've got to stop believing that there's something good in you and you've got to believe what the Bible says about you. That you're a hell-bound sinner and there's nothing you can do to change it. But if you'll come to Jesus, he'll perform the miracle and he'll save your soul. Amen? 
Listen, God chooses to heal some people, other people he doesn't choose to heal. But if you want God to do a miracle, you'd better be faithful where you are today. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were chosen by God to present the truth of the greatness of God to the most powerful sovereign in the world in their day. And God used them in such a way that Nebuchadnezzar, the king, could do nothing except say, their God is greater than me, their God is greater than my God, their God is the greatest of all gods. That's what God's interested in. Why doesn't he do miracles today? Well, sometimes because even if he did that miracle in your life, it wouldn't make any difference to taking God's glory to the world in which we live. Does that make sense? Because I believe that's one of the things we need to learn from this passage right here. When this was all said and done, Nebuchadnezzar, the most powerful man in the world in his day, could only say one thing. They serve the Most High God. God wants to do miracles. He wants to save souls. I think we need to get a new definition of the miracles that we want God to do in our lives. You'll get there by being obedient to God when no one's looking and no one knows what's going on. You'll get there because the world will set the stage, just as Nebuchadnezzar did. And they're going to ask the question, who is that God? It's going to deliver you out of my hand. Who is that God that's going to solve this problem? God will answer that question. He said, I'm that God. Sometimes we can perform that miracle at the grave of a loved one by not grieving as the world grieves by not allowing ourselves to be swept away with all of the emotion and everything that people tell us we ought to do. God wants to work miracles, but he only does them when he's the one that gets the credit for them. All God's people said, Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning. We ask that you would help us. Lord, how hard is it to let go of that little rotten branch sticking out of the side of the cliff and get a hold of that which is our only hope of salvation. Lord, I pray that each one of us here today would be able to see and understand that there is an eternity and there is a God who does not want us to spend an eternity in hell. He is willing to do the miracle that it takes to get saved in the life of 
whosoever will. And once the miracle of salvation is done, what miracle is there that he is not willing to do, Lord? We pray that you would get a hold of our hearts and that you would help us to see these miracles done in our midst that we may bring glory to you and that we may show the world in which we live the greatness and the power of our God. We ask, dear God, that you'd work during this time of invitation. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand together. The hymn of invitation.